Father, thank you for granting us another day, another day of life, another day of grace. A day where we may gather ourselves together as you have prescribed, that we may sing the precious songs of the faith, read your word, lift our voices and our hearts in prayer. And now that we may preach and hear your word, we pray that you would make this a most profitable time. Would you work in our hearts and in our lives? May your word accomplish much. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's look again at Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 4a, please. So, this is where we're going today. So last week we got as far as, but sexual immorality and all impurity must not even be named among you. But we didn't really talk about them much. We talked about, so here's our world and what's going in it, what's going on in it in terms of human sexuality and so on. And then we kind of came back to the verse a little bit toward the end. Uh, we're going to circle back today and actually look at what's in the verse. It's too important to just pass by. The, the sins addressed here are too common, the temptations toward them are too powerful to just breeze past this. So what we're looking at today is sexual immorality, and we're going to look at it as deeds, deeds that can be committed, as words, words that can be spoken, as thoughts, words that are spoken internally in our minds and in our hearts, in our hearts. And then we're going to talk at the end about why does this all matter so much. So first, sexual immorality, deeds. Let me read the verse again for you, verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, and you might wonder, why does he put those together? Sexual immorality, impurity, and then switch to covetousness. Why all in like one voice? Because they're both strong desires. They're strong passions. So we're in the category of, we're in the department of strong desires that humans have that are contrary to the will of God. One of them is coveting, I want. And the other is immorality, I want something very specific. So we're in the immorality side of that again. Sexual immorality and all impurity must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness. Let's note the terms for a moment. The first one, sexual immorality. It's one term in the Greek. It's porneia, from which we obviously get our word porn. It's the broadest term used in the New Testament. It encompasses any kind of immorality that's mentioned in the word of God. So lots of things. I'll give you a list in a moment. That's the first term. And then the second term is the word impurity. Sexual immorality and all impurity. The word could also be translated uncleanness. It's the word clean with the alpha on the front, ah, clean, which means unclean, or we might say, frankly, dirty. So we're talking about the deeds involved in sexual immorality. We're talking about the deeds involved in, in impurity or uncleanness. And so to be clear, let me just give you a, a list. This would include things like premarital, extramarital, rape, porn. This next one's going to surprise some of you. Easy divorce, 
which Jesus says causes you to commit immorality because you're not going to stay single and you didn't divorce for biblical causes. There are two of those in the word of God. You may divorce for fornication or Paul, you may divorce if you have an unbeliever who's no longer content to live with you. You're not under bondage. But anything other than that, you're not supposed to divorce. So easy divorce fits in the list. Oddly enough, in our day, this thing that's called polyamory, and of course, same sex. And in our day, it must even be named, though I shrink from naming it, but there's a massive and very evil movement toward legitimizing it, and that is pedophilia. So each of those things is encompassed by our word, one word in the Greek, two in English, sexual immorality. It's including those things. Every one of them goes under here. Every one of them goes under the word impurity. And what does Paul say about them? He writes, they must not even be named among you. That's, they're so rare, they're not just rare, they're non-existent. That's just another way of saying they're not here. They don't manifest themselves among you. Don't let them be named. Just like, to choose a silly example, nobody in this room right now is going to name a crocodile. You're not going to say, oh, look, a crocodile, because there's no crocodile in here. You won't name one. Nobody in this room is going to say, oh, look, an elephant. There's no elephant in the room. You're not going to name one. In the same one, we should be so far from immorality that no one in the room would point and say, there's some immorality. No, it's not even named because it's not even here. So that's the idea behind the not even named part. Now, you might not realize, but I'm going to help you to realize how often, how frequently, how commonly the authors of the New Testament address this subject. I mean, it just comes up again and again and again and again and again. And I'm going to give you a whole bevy of references, and you're going to be like, Pastor Steve, one was enough, three max. Why are you giving us all these? I'm not going to say a lot about each one of them. We'll move quickly through them. Don't faint. But to impress upon us what a, what a prevalent problem this is, even inside the church of the Lord Jesus. So, are you ready? Some parallel passages? Here they are. We'll put them up. Colossians 3.5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Well, what do you mean? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and he throws in another kind of desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. What are we to do to those? Kill it. Put it out of existence. Put it to death, 1 Corinthians 5.1. It is actually reported, like Paul is astounded. Rather than it not being named among you, it is reported. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and it's of a twist, of a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. Now, we understand that not to mean his natural mother, but his father must have remarried for one cause or another, and so this is his stepmom. So it's public, it's in the church, it's known. They walk in together, they sit together. The father's over there brooding or something. And it, it's reported that this is going on in the church, and Paul is like livid. 
He's astounded at this. Or 1 Corinthians 5.11, a little later in that passage. But now I am writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed. There they are again, these strong desires. And greed makes it on the list. That'll be next week, Lord willing. But don't even associate with somebody if he's guilty of sexual immorality. Now, let me pause here and say something. It needs to be said, but won't be said again and again and again and again throughout this message. He's not talking about somebody who in a weak moment gives in to a temptation, breaks God's commandment, grieves the Holy Spirit, wounds his own conscience, feels so disgusted about what he or she has done, is repentant, is sorrowful. He's not saying, don't have anything to do with that person. No, you, you can have everything to do with that person. He's talking about someone like the man in the church who's flagrantly just living in it. There's no remorse. There's no sorrow. There's no repentance. There's just, mm, this is good. Paul says, church discipline time, folks have nothing to do. Don't even associate with anybody who does that. Not even, he ends the verse, not even to eat with such a one. So the guy in the church who's got his father's wife says, hey, let's, let's go get some grub. And you say, no. It's exactly what that means. I know church discipline is almost non-existent in the evangelical church in our land. It needs to be resurrected it's in the Bible and many times, but here's one. Let's go on. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That means you won't go to heaven. Do not be deceived. Every time Paul says that, it's because there's a good chance somebody's going to try to deceive you on this. So don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Don't be tricked. Neither the sexually immoral, and again, you have to plug in there, living in it, unrepentant, no sorrow, no grief. That's what he's talking about. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. The practice is the thing. Will inherit the kingdom of God. You say, I thought salvation was by grace through faith in Christ. It is. But the grace of God that brings salvation instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present evil age. It changes you. It gives you a new heart, which has new loves, which has new hates. Now you hate the foul thing, and you love the holy thing, and that's why you're so deeply grieved now when you do the foul thing. But if you're not grieved about that, you're not a person who's going to heaven. You're not a person who will inherit the kingdom of God. The word of God says this very plainly. Salvation is by grace and not by works. But if some works don't flow from a new Holy Spirit inhabited heart, something's wrong. Something's missing. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 8, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. Day. Wow, bad day in Israel's life. 
2 Corinthians 12, verse 21. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity. This may be that man who has dad's wife and others and who have not repented. See, there's the problem of the immorality, sexual immorality, impurity in sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. Paul says, I'm afraid when I, when I make my trip and I show up in your church, I'm going to discover this stuff is in your church, and you haven't been dealing with it. You haven't had any church discipline. You haven't told people this is wrong. And then to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 7, for this is the will of God. All right, you want to know what God's will is? Here it is. Your sanctification, that means that you'd be set apart, that you'd be holy unto God, will get specific. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. What does that part mean? To be brief, I think it means... If you do something immoral, it's assumed you're a guy here, but it could be the other way around. But assuming you're a guy, you do something immoral, you're transgressing and defrauding a brother, either her husband or her dad. So you're not to do that to that guy. It's not love. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. You see again and again, here's another one, Hebrews 13, 4. Love this one. Marriage is honorable among all. In other words, Paul is here appealing to natural revelation. Go visit any people, any tribe, any kindred, any tongue, anywhere, anytime, and any place on the planet, and guess what? They revere marriage. They have marriages. They protect marriages. So marriage is honorable among all. There's no people that says, now nah, marriage, that's evil. Well, now in our day there is. <laughs> and the bed, it's the Greek word koitas. And the bed is undefiled. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing impure. There's nothing immoral. There's nothing dirty. There's nothing unclean. There's nothing unholy. No, the bed, you're married, and the bed is undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Big contrast there. But God will judge. You see, there's a lot of verses about this, and we're to take it seriously. Now back to our text, Ephesians 5, 3 and 4. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness. We'll go on later. All right, so... Let me give you some down-home, simple, heart-to-heart advice on how not to fall into any of that, on how to resist temptations to any of that. Just simple. Here's, here's uh, I think I have four, four things to do here. Here's number one. Beat it when it's weak. Beat it when it's farther away from you. Up close, it's going to get powerful. Beat it when it's far away. Beat it when it's weak. 
an illustration may help. I've shared this illustration before, sorry. Just a little picture, it's a comic. Two ladies who could afford to lose a little weight looking in the window of a bakery. And the one says to the other, let's just go in and see what happens. What is that illustrating? We all know that when you go in and get close to that donut, that Jocko calls them sugar-coated lies, when you get close to that donut, its power over you is greater, right? We know what's going to happen if you go in and get close to it. You're not even resisting it here where you're far away and you're outside the shop. If you get closer to that thing, the closer you get, the more power it has. You've got to beat it when you're outside the door. You've got to resist it when it's far away. I don't know what's wrong with me. Well, I do know what's wrong with me. There's still fallenness in me. And even though I have a perfectly good 2013 truck, and I love it, and I've done the math, by the way, and that truck can probably last me the rest of my life. Like, at the rate I'm going, when I'm 87, it'll have 200,000 miles on it. And it can probably hit 300,000 miles. So I think that's my last vehicle, unless I can't get up in it any longer. It sits up a little ways. But I find that there's this thing in me that I like other vehicles, and I'm always saying, oh, look, one of those would be nice. Oh, look at that. I would enjoy one. I would like that. I have to fight that thing all the time. You dummy. You've got a perfectly good truck. It's going to last you till you die. Don't even look. But what if, what if one day I say, you know what? I think I'll just stop over here at Jones Junction and just walk around and kick some tires. And then I get to talking to a salesman, tell me about this one, bought it from a little old lady in Pasadena, only drove it to church on Sunday, that whole story. And then I go in and talk to the finance guy. How would it be, could you come down to this and all that? What am I doing? I'm setting myself up for a buy that would just be covetousness, pure and simple. You have to beat it when you're far away. Like, don't even drive past Jones Junction. If you do, don't look. So you're not even tempted by the thing. Let me give you one more illustration. This is beat it when, you're, when it's weak. Beat it when you're far away from it. If you are David and the temptation is Goliath, and Goliath says, let's you and me get in this closet right here and see what happens. Oh, we know what Goliath can do to you in a closet. He's going to smush you like a pancake. You've got to stay far away from Goliath if you're going to beat him. And that's exactly how it is with sexual temptation. If you let it get close, you're done. If you get it, let it get up close and personal, you're a goner. You've got to beat it. You've got to resist it. You've got to stop it in its tracks when it's farther away. Making plans for an evening out with your girlfriend. Good for you. Bless you. Keep it holy. Leave space for the Holy Spirit. And when you're making the plans, think about where you are. Does our plan have any of us, have just the two of us together in a dark closet anywhere in the night? Does the, two of, does the plan have the two of us in the bakery? Does the plan have the two of us kicking tires? Bad plan. Plan so that you won't be anywhere where it could possibly happen. And guess what? It won't happen. 
I'm not trying to be a legalist. I'm not telling you where you can and can't go. But I think I'm giving you some good ideas here. I think there's some wisdom in this. Here's a second piece of advice for you relative to resisting sexual temptation. Look, would you memorize some scripture on it? I mean, if you're struggling with it, memorize some scripture under Unsheath the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Like Psalm 119, verse 11, I think I have this. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Are you hiding word in your heart? Why? That I might not sin against thee, King James. I liked it in the King James. Thy word, that I might not sin against thee. So, well, I don't know what's wrong with me. I keep falling into that. Well, tell me which verses you've memorized about it. Well, I haven't. Well, there is a sword of the Spirit. You have to take it up. You have to hide it in your heart. Memorize some scripture on it and meditate Meditate, meditate on it. It's powerful. And here's the third thing to do. Get yourself an accountability partner. Listen to the words of James 5.16. James writes, therefore confess your sins to one another. Well, I don't want to tell anyone. Then you're not getting serious. Pick somebody you can trust. They're not going to be a blabbermouth. Not going to tell everybody on the planet. And confess your sin to one another. And then here's what happens next. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So now you have the word of God hidden in your heart. That's power. And now you have an accountability friend that you trust, and they're praying for you and challenging you and holding you accountable. That's powerful. So... Don't let the temptation get anywhere near you, anywhere that it could actually seize you. Have God's word about that temptation hidden in your heart. If you're struggling with that temptation, confess it to a trusted brother or sister if you're a woman. This one's got to be like woman on woman and man on man, all right? It's got to be. And then here's the last thing. It's a bit of a right turn, but I just feel I need to say this anyway. This is relative to your sons and your daughters and their possible temptations. Keep them far from it. Right? Like, don't let it get near to them. Like, to be very specific, for one example, don't give your kids access to it. Don't say, here's my phone. Go have fun. See you later in the evening. What a day we live on. It's never been like this before. I mean, there's always been bad stuff. If you walked through Corinth, there were giant statues of body parts out in public. There were murals on walls that were artistic, and they were ungodly scenery. There were things on a vase that you might see in a store, and there were ungodly scenes on the vase. They had their version of this, but we have it like the planet has never, ever, ever, ever imagined having it before on devices in everybody's hand. Don't give your kids access to it. It is to be feared that with the World Wide Web and all the devices, this is the worst generation to ever walk upon the planet. We can almost be certain of that in terms of what they're looking at, what they're taking in, of the grooves they're wearing into their mental, mental passageways. So parents, you've got to guard what 
access they have to the World Wide Web, you, that means you also have to monitor access to friends who have the World Wide Web. I'm, I'm grateful. This sounds terrible. I'll, I'll admit it. I'm grateful we didn't raise our kids in these times. It was bad enough then. You all, you're raising them in these times. So those are just some suggestions for resisting temptation. They're not God's law. They're my pastoral advice. And here, before we leave that part, sexual immorality deeds, let's just pause a minute and look at 1 John 1, 9 and thank God afresh for the blood of Christ, all right? Just remember, because I'm sure there's been some transgression in a body of this size. If we confess our sins, we're believers, we follow Christ, we fall into a sin, now we turn, we confess it. Lord, I'm sorry I did X. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. You can depend on, on him for this. And he is just, it's right that he do this, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So some of you just need to bask in that right now, maybe. Lord, I am one of your followers, and I have broken your law, and my conscience is grieved, and I'm sure the Holy Spirit is too, and I come confessing, maybe again. So we've looked at sexual immorality um, deeds. Now we're going to look at sexual immorality words. How am I doing? Oh, good. Thank you. All right. Back to verse 4. So then he says, let there be no filthiness. We already looked at that one. That's with deeds, I think. But now he turns to words, to our speech, to our talk. Nor foolish talk. That's still in the context of human sexuality. It's foolish to talk about those things in that way. Nor crude joking. There are jokes that are crude. Why not? which are out of place. They don't fit you if you're a saint. They don't fit you if you're a child of God. When am I rehabilitated? But instead, let there be thanksgiving. So instead of crude, innuendo, ha-ha, it should be giving thanks. All right, so the word filthiness, and people debate. Does that go, is that a deed? Is that another part of the deeds? Or is that a word? It might be filthy words, because we're in the words now. The word appears only here in the New Testament. It could be translated obscenity. So it might just be words at, at its root, the root of this word. It's something that causes shame, something shameful, something base, something disgraceful. So let's assume for the moment maybe that's words, no filthy words. Or, next phrase, no foolish talk, also only used here in the New Testament, but we know this is sexual, we're in the context of that, so it's foolish for you, a child of God, to talk like that about those things. And then third, and this one's very clear, also only used here in the New Testament, or crude joking, and we know from other first century uses outside of the Bible that this is definitely a sexually charged word. So what he's saying here is, this is more than what he's saying here. Sorry. Here's a little more. It's just not wise. It's not prudent to take such a beautiful, wonderful, mysterious, holy thing that God conceived of and made us for to enjoy. It's not, it's not fitting to take something like that, but something like that that can be so easily corrupted, so easily turned dark. It's not wise, it's not fitting to take a thing like that 
and just make it a matter of crude jokes. To make it something you talk about in foul ways. No, a thing is as holy as that must be talked about in pure ways. To keep it holy, to keep it honorable, to keep it respectful. So no crude joking. Treat it with respect. Not dirty talk is what he's saying. Don't be a Don't say, I'm a follower of the holy Lord Jesus Christ, and I talk dirty. Not good. Why? Why not words? Let's look at the verse again. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, or literally, which are not fitting. You're a saint. Those are bad words. They don't fit you. It's like, you put a $10,000 stereo in a $400 car. That doesn't fit. If you put foul and profane verbiage in, in the mouth of a follower of the Lord Jesus, that doesn't fit. That's what he's saying. It doesn't fit you. It doesn't fit. You're a saint. You're holy. You're a follower of the Lamb. And that is coming out of your mouth? Just to give you a little more help in this, I'll just challenge you. Go ahead and read the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and tell me if you ever find Jesus saying profane things. Or tell me if you ever find his apostles saying profane things. Or go down through church history, stop where you will. I'm going to stop with Augustine's Confessions and John Calvin's Institutes, and I've read both of those, yes. And you never find one bit of profanity in those. Follow them as they follow Christ. You say, well, does this really matter? It's just words. Does it really matter that much? Yes, the Lord Jesus reminds us of the seriousness of our words. Matthew 12, 34b through 37. Let me read it for you. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Again, salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. But your words betray what's in your heart and who you really are. And by your words you'll be justified. They had words that fit a child of God. It's real faith. And by your words you'll be condemned. Their words really never fit a child of God. They'll be condemned. So the words matter. When are we... When are we rehabbed? Remember, it's put off and put on time in Ephesians 4 and 5, put off and put on. When have I rehabbed by sailor talk? Here's when you've done it. Let's look at Ephesians 5, 4 again. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, here's what you put on. Here's, here's the route to rehab. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Let there be thanksgiving. So there ought to be lots and lots and lots and lots of thanksgiving coming out of your mouth. When I get around you, I hear thanksgiving. Not crude, foul, sailor talk. Thanksgiving. I could read you a bunch of texts on that one too. Here are a few. Bear with me. I know it's later in the sermon. You've lost some energy. Harder to bear with the preacher later in the sermon. Stay with me. 
And let's just look rapidly at some other texts about thanksgiving. Parallel passages. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What's the will of God? I want to know the will of God. Here it is. Be giving thanks all the time in all circumstances. 1 Chronicles 16.34 Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. There's a good use of your tongue. You're getting rehabbed. Or Philippians 4.4-7 4 Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So you're always thanking, 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 thanking. Are you? Or Ephesians 5.20, a little bit later in our chapter, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God our Father. That's pretty comprehensive, always, for all. And finally, Psalm 107, verses 1 and 2. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say, thank you, Lord. Your steadfast love endures for me in Christ forever. So you get it. When am I rehabbed of my impure, improper, foul tongue? When I've replaced it with thankfulness, 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 thankfulness. Thank God instead of blankety blank. Look what happened. Thank God. That's a rehabbed saint. So we've looked at Deeds, immorality, deeds. We looked at immorality, words. Now we're going to need to go just one more level in immorality, heart, eyes and heart. And I just want to remind you, though it's not in our text, but we're going to jump over to the Lord and some other passages in the Bible and see how this goes down to our hearts. For every commandment in the Bible that has an outward do something, don't do something, there's always an inward, a heart component of that commandment. We're going to the heart now. And of course, here's the most important one on that theme, on this theme, Matthew 5 and verse 28. Our Lord Jesus says, but I say to you, you've heard, you've heard this and this and this. If that happens, put her away and all that. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, not just everyone who looks at a woman, you're allowed to look at a woman. Oh, there's a woman. You're allowed to do that. You don't have to turn away. But if, you, if it turns to lustful intent, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. That's the Lord Jesus, folks. Or how about 2 Peter 2.14? He's talking about some of the false prophets, some of the false teachers in his day. He describes them in this way, 2 Peter 2.14. Having eyes full of adultery. Eyes full. <laughs> That's interesting just means they never stop looking and looking and looking and looking to commit adultery in their hearts. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. Or how about, here's the positive side, here's the better side of it. Job 31.1, Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Isn't that cute? You know, a covenant's an agreement between two. And so it's like he took his eyes out and sat him there and said, let's talk. Let's make an agreement right here. I want you to agree with me on something. We are not going to look where we're not supposed to look with the intent that we're not supposed to have. How about it? And the eyes say, yes, sir. 
I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? Meaning with ill intent, with evil thoughts. So it goes from deeds to words, and then naturally, not surprisingly, it goes from words to heart. Before I leave this part about heart, let me, let me just distinguish something. Let's distinguish something. It is in the nature of humans to admire beauty. Right? You go to the Outer Banks, and you get up early so you can see the sunrise, and man, it is amazingly beautiful. And your neighbors have roses, and you walk over and talk to them and look at their roses. And man, the roses are beautiful. Or you have a red-bellied woodpecker, as we do, that comes regularly to your, to your um, bird feeder out back, and it's beautiful. It's in the nature of humans to admire beauty. So if you see an attractive woman, there's nothing wrong with noticing and admiring and, and seeing, boy, that's a beautiful woman. You haven't sinned. But the moment it turns to elicit thought, desires, intentions, you must turn or it turns to either coveting, man, I wish I had one like that, or it turns to adultery in the heart. Hmm. Somebody said, I don't know who this is. I heard it long ago. Somebody said, the first look is for God. And after the first look, you say, Lord, you make beautiful things. So far, so good. The second look is for you. I want to see that again. The third look is for the devil. Come and get me, devil. Humans admire beauty, but don't let it turn to evil. Look at James 1.15. When lust has conceived, that's the moment you got to avoid. When lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. That beautiful thing is trying to lead you to death. Don't be led. So, so, that's sweet. So, one quick thing here. I also want to talk for a moment about modesty. So the flip side of some of this is, ladies, you need to dress in modesty. Amen? First Timothy 2.9, likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty. Now, the modesty in this verse is probably more properly, specifically about don't flaunt all your riches when you come to church. That's immodest. Be modest. Don't flaunt your wealth. But it also applies to not too short, not too low, not too tight. Was that legalistic? I didn't tell you how many inches above your knee. But certainly it comes down to that, right? Not too short, not too low, not too tight, not too see-through. Did I miss anything? Women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, not showing off your riches that was at church. So ladies, give attention, please, to modesty. Like Modesty. And why does this matter? Deepest level, and then we'll close. Why does this matter? Down to verse 5, Ephesians 5, 5, please. For you may be sure of this. Be sure of this. 
Everyone who is sexually immoral or impure. Again, not who falls into it, mourns, repents, sorrowful, weak, struggling. Not that person. But the person who is. They're just given over to it. There's no remorse. It's life. Everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, they go together again, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Over to 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality will inherit the kingdom of God. We saw that before, but it fits here again. So why does this really matter? Well, people who can live in that stuff betray the lack of a redeemed soul, of a new heart of the presence of the Spirit of God inside. So let's, let's make our bottom line what Paul says. Let it not even be named among you. All right? Just don't let it even be named because it's not there. May the Lord help us. Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, thank you for bringing us to this text in this time. We pray that it would stick in our hearts. Perhaps there are brothers or sisters in Christ here who are, who, are, who are wounded by these passages, but they are your true sheep. They love you, but they've been weak. And we thank you for the blood of Christ that does cleanse your people from all our sins. Thank you that our salvation is not by our works, but is by your grace. But Lord, don't let us corrupt grace and turn it into a licentiousness that permits us to do anything and to live in anything. So please make us a people. Give us new hearts. Hearts that love things that are honoring and pleasing to you. We pray for grace and strength for those who struggle and are weak. And Lord, maybe you would want to use this message to bring somebody to you that they realize, maybe they're realizing today, man, I really am a sinner. I really have broken God's commandments. I really have violated his holy laws. And you're realizing for the first time, maybe, I do need Jesus Christ to be my Savior, my Lord, to forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, to give me everlasting life. Lord, would you powerfully draw such people to yourself right now, we pray. May they call upon your name, Lord Jesus, please save me. We ask for all in the name of Christ. Amen.